1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I know for me that this time of year, especially New Year's Eve, is a time where I feel a bit more reflective and uh, often get introspective uh, as I think upon the year that has passed and then I ponder the year that is to come. So often when I think about the year that's passed, I, I love to stop and just think of all the things that I have to be thankful for, for the ways that the Lord has not just grown me, but grown and developed and nurtured our family and this church family. I often think about the things that I regret, things that I've done that I hope I'll never do again, the ways that I've let down uh, the Lord of glory. I love just to stop and and think through what are some of the ways that in this year that is to come, I, I could really live all the more for him. I want to be more of a man of God. I want to be a better husband, a better father, a better pastor, a better friend. And as helpful as that is for me, I'm always conscious that even though those are all good and godly desires, the reality is I don't know what the future holds. I don't know if we'll have tomorrow. I don't know when Jesus is coming back again. I know that if the Lord wills it, tomorrow I may wake up and have my breath and be able to pray and spend time with my family and enjoy a good meal with friends. And so instead of me looking inward and us looking inward this evening, I want us to look outward. I want us to focus our attention this evening, not on ourselves, but on God. If we began this year boasting in God's plans and purposes for our life, we're going to end this year boasting in God's power and wisdom. One of my favorite verses to to meditate upon on New Year's Day is, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through chapter 2, verse 5, Paul reminded the Christians in Corinth that their minds and hearts need to be shaped by the fact that God's wisdom and power are put spectacularly on display in weakness and foolishness. And so as we study these verses, I hope that we will have a renewed commitment in the wisdom and in the power of God and not in the wisdom and power of man. One of the most amazing things about this section of God's word is it tells us this, God delights to work in and through weak and foolish ones and weak and foolish things. In fact, God's best work is done in weakness and through foolishness. So we're going to look at these verses under three headings. God's power are expressed in a seemingly weak and foolish message. God's power and wisdom are expressed in a seemingly weak and foolish method. And God's power and wisdom are expressed, displayed in a seemingly weak and foolish church. Just before we we dive into those things, um, I need to remind us of why Paul wrote this letter of 1 Corinthians. We know from the end of the letter that the Christians who were in Chloe's household wrote a letter to Paul to tell Paul there were major pastoral problems manifesting themselves in the congregation there in Corinth. 
They were wreaking havoc among believers. And we know also from chapter 1 in the first section that the church was dividing into factions. People were starting to rally around their favorite preachers. Some said, I'm of Apollos. Others said, I'm of Cephas. Still others said, I'm of Christ. And, and, and these Christians in Corinth, they also, even though many of them probably came to faith through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, began to turn on him and to lobby criticism in his direction. And their criticism of Paul was this. He is a pathetic preacher. He is no pulpit presence whatsoever. Fascinatingly, in in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, they summarize it as this. Paul might be mighty with a pen, but of bodily presence, he's nothing. And preaching, it's poor. And the reason that we, we, we think the Corinthian Christians ended up lobbying this sort of criticism in Paul's direction is because they began to be more influenced by the wisdom of the world than by the wisdom of God. You see, first century Corinth was a bit like London. It was the, it was one of the major cities of the first century. It was a city known for hedonism and pleasure. It was a city that was the center of trade. And in that city, one of the things that many people placed a premium on were not preachers, but gifted orators. Those who had been professionally trained in rhetoric. So those who could use sophisticated speech, the sophists, literally where we would get the word sophisticated from, who could win people over by their winsome words and their persuasive arguments. And when Paul, and, and they were the major celebrities of the first century, especially first century Corinth, and when the Corinthian church compared Paul to them, they thought, Paul is nothing but a weak and foolish preacher. Now what's fascinating is as Paul takes up his pen and he responds to their criticism, Paul says to them, Corinth, you need to know this. It is through weakness and through foolishness that God delights to work. It is through the foolishness of preaching and the foolishness of the cross and the weakness of God's people that God's power and wisdom are displayed. It's how he gets the glory. So so let's first of all think about how God's power and wisdom are expressed in, in, in a seemingly weak and foolish message. Now, I think it's really hard for us who are Christians here this evening to understand just how foolish the cross is. You see, we don't realize it, but as those who have had the Holy Spirit regenerate us, our eyes opened to who Jesus is and what he's done for us, we boast in the cross. We we sing of the power of the cross and the wonder of the cross. We get that at the cross we see God's love demonstrated for us. The cross is foolishness. In the first century, one of the most famous Roman orators was Cicero. And he said, the very word cross should never be on a Roman citizen's lips. It should never be heard in a Roman citizen's ears. And it should never be seen in a Roman citizen's eyes. See, see, crucifixion 
was the Romans' way of displaying their power, but it was the most barbaric and shameful form of execution. In polite company, no one said Cicero should be speaking about the cross. And and you know why that's so hard for us to understand is? Because everywhere we look, we see crosses. Some of us are wearing crosses. Some of us have crosses tattooed on our bodies. You walk down the street, you see crosses on buildings. Here, there, and everywhere. If a first century Roman was to be put in a time machine and come to 21st century London, they would find it a really bizarre experience. This image of barbaric and shameful death plastered everywhere. That would be like if we took away all the crosses and we started hanging electric chairs or the guillotine. We would find it strange, scandalous, disturbing. Interestingly, not that long ago, there were some archaeologists who discovered some first century graffiti. And what they discovered was there was a picture of a man hanging on a cross, but his head was the head of a donkey. And underneath it, it said, Alexander worships his God. Did you get the point? Any so-called God that hangs on a cross is an ass. It's ridiculous. In this passage, Paul speaks about the foolishness or the folly of the cross. Not word foolishness, folly that he uses. It's where we get our English word moron. This is idiotic. The God, the Son of God, would die on a cross. And to this first century Corinthian culture that was now influencing the church, members of the Corinthian church were growing ever increasingly embarrassed by the cross. Like seriously, we, we can't, we can't worship a, a man who died on a cross, can we? Paul says in, in this chapter that the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews. The word stumbling block actually in the original is scandal on and it's where we get our word scandal from. It's scandalous to the Jews that the Messiah, the Christ would ever die on a tree because the Old Testament made very clear cursed is he who hangs on a tree if a Jew saw a man hanging on a cross here's his conclusion there is no hope in hell for that man cursed is that man separated from God forevermore so how could a Jew ever get their minds around the fact that these Christians in the first century said, no, the Son of God, the long-promised Messiah, he hung on the cross. For them, this was absurd. And yet Paul says, this is the message that he was commissioned and called to preach. Look at verse 17 again. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. 
But now look at verse 18. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Everyone here tonight who's a Christian, the cross is not foolishness. The cross and the message of the cross is what changed your life. The reason why Paul could say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Because of what Jesus Christ has done at the cross, he made it possible for you and I, sinners, to be made right with a holy God. He made it possible for you and I to be changed forever. It was by the means of the message of the cross you and I were saved, and it is by the preaching and the message of the cross that you and I who are saved are sanctified. That is, we, we, we grow up in Christ. And church, as as we end this year, we need to boast in the message of the cross that is considered as folly, idiotic, moronic to those who are perishing. Because this is the wisdom and the power of our God. Yes, it's a scandal. Yes, it's seemingly weak and foolish. But the reality is, it is what changed you and I's life. And it is what will grow us in the year that is to come. You know, often at the end of a year and as we look to a new year, we want to find ways in which we can grow or develop as people. Can I give you one suggestion if you want to grow in the year that is to come? Grow in your understanding of the cross. The cross is what humbles us. It was our sin that nailed him there. The cross is what changes us. It was his blood that was shed for the remission, for the forgiveness of our sin. And the cross is where we behold the the steadfast love of God. It's with Jesus' outstretched arms that we see the mega, off-the-charts love of God. For sinners like you and me. Now, Paul's so keen that we understand just how counterintuitive that the cross is. So read verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Read verse 24 and 25. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God. He's the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You see, see Paul's point? Where does God manifest? Where does God demonstrate his wisdom in the weakness and in the foolishness that is seen in the message of the cross? But secondly, God's power is expressed in a weak and foolish method. Back to verse 17. Uh, Paul makes clear that he was sent by Christ to preach the gospel. And he makes it very clear that when he was to preach the gospel, it was not with words, plural, of eloquent wisdom. Meaning he's very, he's very emphatic. Paul knew that he was not called to be a rhetorician. He was not called to be an auditor. He was not called to be like the sophisticated speakers of the first century. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. And when I came to you, brothers, 
I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. No, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul, in verse 18, says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. They preached words of wisdom, eloquent wisdom. He preached the word, singular, of the cross. He preached the simple message with the God-given method. Now here's the difference between Paul and his first century contemporaries in Corinth. You see, all the speakers, all the auditors, their methods were to, to showcase their learning and their, how articulate they were. Paul's method is simply to herald the message he'd been given. In verse 21, when he, he speaks of preaching, in the original, it's the word for herald. Now, in the Roman Empire, there were many of these young men, often of poor backgrounds, who were heralds, and they would run into the various towns, and they would stand in the uh, town centre, and they would shout, Hear ye, hear ye. Caesar has defeated whatever nation or whatever empire. Now, the job of a herald was not to stand up with sophisticated speech or with a, a, a persuasive argument. The job of a herald was simply to declare the message that he had been entrusted with. And Paul says his calling was to be a herald of Christ and him crucified. To preach the method, to preach the gospel with the method that God had given him. It's interesting, he says in verse 25, it has it pleased God through the folly of preaching to save those who believe. You know what's amazing, right? In the first century world, God ordained that preaching would be the means by which the good news of Christ would spread. In a world that was dominated by men and women who were really gifted speakers. Why? Because preaching is foolish. Looks weak to the world. Stand up, open the Bible, proclaim what is there. But actually, in the divine design of God, that's brilliant. Because the power is not in the messenger, not even in the method. The power alone is in the message. Hence, the method is preach. Christ and him crucified from the God-given word. And so as we, as we prepare to go into a new year, can I, can I say something, right? And this is, you might think this is a preacher's resolution. Truly, if you want to go grow in grace, if you want to grow in Christ, if you want to become more like Jesus, do you know the means that God has promised to bless? Preaching. Do you know how you can grow in Christ? Two ways. Every single day, preach the gospel to yourself. But devote yourself to attending the means of grace, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, 
Because God has promised to bless the preaching of his word. God's not promised to bless programs. He's not even promised to bless ministries of churches. Bible studies, as good as they are, can't find a verse in the scripture that says, you've got to do a Bible study. But what you can find in the Bible, quite clearly, directly, from the Lord, is he's promised to bless the preaching of Christ and him crucified. And Paul gave himself to that. What's fascinating to notice in chapter 2, see when he speaks about his preaching, he's very vulnerable. See when I came among you, it was with fear and trembling. Why? Not because of the method, but because of the message. Because of the God who entrusted him with this news. He did not fear men or women He feared God and he trembled at his word because he knew that his calling is not to impress people but to serve and be faithful to his God. So another resolution I want to give you for the new year is pray for the preachers that they would never buy the lie, that I would never buy the lie, that I need to tinker with the message to make it more palatable to this culture or to make it Plarable to you, to give you what your itching ears want to hear. Paul preached the word because he knew it was a demonstration of the spirit and of power. He preached the word so that their faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now here's the third and final point. God's power and wisdom are expressed in a weak and foolish church. Now, I think this point must have really hurt the Corinthian Christians who were recipients of this letter. You see, in that sophisticated culture of history, uh, Corinth, they, they, they'd started to think of themselves as significant. Now, we'll read verse 26 and see what Paul says. Consider your calling, brothers and sisters, Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. You get what he's saying? In this church that was infatuated with status and celebrities and sophisticated people, Paul says to them, guys, just remember who you are. None of you were such people that you are now so deeply enamored with. You know, he's not saying none at all. He says just not many. But the idea is, is that, quite literally, not many of them were of high or noble birth. Not many of them were significant in worldly status. But look at verse 10. Now, God chose what is foolish in the world. So he's saying to these members, you guys are foolish. You see, if you're a Christian, that, that's, that's who you are. Before you were a Christian, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. As Paul said to this congregation, guys, remember who you are. Look around the congregation. None of you are the things that you're so captivated and captured by. And there's a reason for that, that none of you are the movers and shakers, the people with flair and power in the culture is because God's ways are not this world's ways. 
God chooses the weak, the foolish, the things that are not, so that the wise might be shamed, the strong might be humbled, and so that God alone will get the glory. Now, I know we're in 21st century London, and we might all think, oh, but <laughs> come on, like, I don't want to be thought of as foolish and weak and, and not significant. But actually, if you want to begin 2024 20, on the right foot, and the, the best place we can begin is to understand God's upside-down nature in his kingdom is to work through the weak and the foolish, and so we can rest comfortably in who he says we are, we are weak and foolish. But that's in whom and through whom God delights to work. Now the purpose why God delights to work in, in these people is, listen, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. See, one of the really tragic realities of the Corinthian church was that it was a culture of narcissism. They were all boasting in who their favorite preacher was. They were all boasting in who they were. They were all boasting in the things of this world, but not in their God. I love that the glory of God's wisdom and the glory of God's strength is he uses the things that are nothing so that he may alone get the glory. Now, I just want you to see the supreme wisdom of God, right? He's got a foolish and weak message seemingly sold to the world. He's got a weak and foolish method seemingly sold to the world. And he uses a weak and foolish church seemingly sold to the world. But see from God's perspective as we go into 2024, this is how he alone will get the glory. And as we move forward in a new year, that should be our our first and foremost desire, that God would be glorified in us and through us. So let's devote ourselves to his message. Let's devote ourselves to his method. Let us devote ourselves to his church. You know, this passage in many ways says, trust in the Lord, lean not in your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. There's one beautiful verse that, that, that just lies at the end there of verse, thir- it's the verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of God, you are in Jesus Christ. Who has he become? He's become to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In other words, in Jesus Christ, we've been given all that we need. We've been given salvation We've been given a new record. We have been given all we need to become more like him. And so Paul's final word is if you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. So brothers and sisters, as we prepare to begin this new year, let's boast in our glorious God. Let's pray. Father, as we stand on the threshold of a new year, as we thank you for the year that has passed, And we don't know what lies ahead. We pray that in this coming year we would concern ourselves with Jesus Christ and him crucified. Yes, it's foolishness 
to this world. But it is your wisdom and it is your power. God, we pray that as a community of people that we would not adopt the ways of our culture or the thinking and the values of our culture, but we'd be a community that's marked by a culture of grace, a culture of humility, a culture that has you at the center, your characters, your ways, and your will. God, we pray that in all the preaching that is done as we give ourselves to attending it, that by your Spirit and through the power of the message that is preached, that in the year that is to come, you would work out your plans and purposes in our lives. We boast in your wisdom. We boast in your power. And we thank you that it rests in us weak and foolish people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.